Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, our weekly look at things happening in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, animals, all that good stuff, presented in a newscasty format because that's what I decided to make Zoo News. Sometimes I start saying things and I don't know where I'm going with them, and then I find out that uh, the answer is nowhere in particular. But uh, hey, I gotta have content, so... Uh, there you go. You're welcome? Question mark? Anyway, uh, I wanted to tell y'all that California is still going super well. Um, but in fact, you know, I, I got to be honest with you, in the, <laughs> in the last three days, including today, Wednesday, when I'm recording this, um, I have been to four facilities. I went to Happy Hollow. I went to Charles Paddock Zoo. I, I went to the Santa Barbara Zoo, and then I spent the day at the San Diego Zoo again today. Um, and y'all, I'm tired. And I'm going to the San Diego Zoo Safari Park again tomorrow. And um, yeah, you know what? Uh, screw it. I'm going to go to bed. And what I want y'all to do is go to Google and just start searching for some zoo news and spend a half hour and you'll, you'll probably find stuff. It'll be great. So thank you for listening. This is, no, I'm kidding. I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. Um, we're going to do the zoo news stuff and it's going to be awesome. And if this is your first time here, I just want to let you know that this is a crowdsourced news show. Meaning that if you are on the interwebs and you happen to see something that is zoo or animal or conservation newsworthy, then you can tag me in it at Rossafari on social media, at Rossafari Pod on TikTok, or email it to me, rossafaripod at gmail.com, and I'll say your name at the end of the episode. Woo! So, um, yeah, that's how this works. And... I'm too tired to keep improvising more stuff at the beginning of this, so um, I'm going to throw it to the commercial. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamer Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com slash studios. 
Oh, okay, cool. So I totally remembered something that happened today that has nothing to do with animals, but was really stinking cool. So I'm going to tell you about it and then we'll get to the news. Um, I was driving today from the uh, La Mirada area outside of LA where I am staying to San Diego because duh. And there was a DeLorean on the road. Now, for those of you who are maybe young whippersnappers and don't remember the movie Back to the Future, or for those of you who just don't recognize the name, that is the car that was turned into a time machine for Back to the Future and Back to the Future parts two and three. And y'all, this wasn't just a DeLorean. It was completely done up like the DeLoreans in Back to the Future. Literally had the out-of-time license plate, had all of the cool fusion reactory stuff, had the lights going along the side. Even inside, everything was there. They had the flux capacitor. They had the alarm clock. They had the uh, old computery stuff where you could enter in the date that they were going to. All, all of it. It was the coolest thing. And I looked at the dude who was driving it, and it sadly was not marty mcfly um but it was just like some like older dude and he just looked at me and nodded and it wasn't even like i don't know it was just he was like yeah i'm cool i have a cool car and i know it i don't know it was awesome so i i got to see a delorean just 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 cruising down the five today i i don't know i don't know but and yes yes i've been in california long enough where i get to call highways the followed by the number um, it's a thing. So anyway, with all of that said, it is time to get to one, two, three, four. Ow, there's a funky monkey, tree kangaroo, or a binturong. It's news. Yeah. All right. So if you can't tell from literally every single solitary episode of this podcast ever, I think zookeepers and other people that work at zoos and aquariums and stuff are incredible. They're, they're beyond incredible. They are amazing humans with great hearts that do a ton of really hard work to love their animals. And um, there was a huge winter storm that hit like half the country earlier this week. It was named Winter Storm Landon, and um, it dumped a ton of snow on a ton of places, as well as ice and other unsafe things. And all around the country, zookeepers were doing things to keep their animals and their facilities safe. In a lot of places that got a lot of snow, including some of our good friends at Cincinnati I know did this, the, uh, the keepers actually spent the night at the zoo. That not only gives them the ability to be there the next day to, you know, do their jobs and take care of animals, but also means that if there are any major power outages or anything like that, they can be there to check on the backup generators. They can be there to quickly move animals should anything happen with a building or an enclosure or anything like that. They're there. They're on site. They are ready to take care of the emergency. And from the Pictures and videos that I've seen seems like kind of universally wherever they were, they would also hole up in some big area with their sleeping bags or cots and like watch movies and make popcorn. And um, it's definitely a huge sacrifice, but it's also cool to see them, you know, bonding and having it be a good, fun experience. Um, and, you know, even the the people that didn't stay overnight, there, there were a whole lot of people that had to 
risk their lives driving in crazy conditions the next day and a whole lot of carpooling where the person with four-wheel drive had to go and pick up all their coworkers and leave super early and and stay super late because some people couldn't make it. So work had to be divvied up amongst smaller staffs. And I just think it's so cool to remember that these people are there doing this kind of thing for the animals always. So to all of the keepers and aquarists and biologists and everyone else involved at these zoos that either spent the night or had to risk their lives or even just be out in the cold shoveling frozen poop, like... Thank you all so much. And and to everyone listening, uh, just remember, that is yet another aspect of this incredible but incredibly challenging at times career. Congratulations are in order to the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams, the two football teams that will be competing in the Super Bowl this Sunday. On a side note, we're playing a show over the Super Bowl. I, I have the feeling that There's not going to be much of an audience for that one, especially given that we are in the L.A. area and the Rams are in the Super Bowl and also hosting the Super Bowl. But, you know, hey, whatever. That part's not the zoo news part. And neither is the fact that both teams are animals, although, yay, both teams are animals. But the reason that I'm telling you this is that you should definitely hop on Instagram and go and see if any of the zoos and aquariums that you love are using their animals to prognosticate which team is going to win the Super Bowl? Because this has become a more and more common trend over the years, and it's really adorable. The The general trend is that an enrichment item will be put out for each team, and the animal will invariably choose to engage with one of them first, and that is the animal choosing the winner. Interestingly enough, the Cincinnati Zoo and LA Zoo are not participating in this because they have a bunch of posts dedicated to their animals cheering for their own teams, obviously, which is also really adorable. On a side note, if you happen to be a Cincinnati Bengals fan, you should really check out the merch at the Cincinnati Zoo right now that is being done up with um, Bengals stripes and stuff. It's it's some of the coolest cross-promotional stuff I've ever seen. And uh, I wish that the Bengals weren't like kind of one of the big rivals of my team, the Baltimore Ravens, because if they weren't, I would probably buy a lot of this stuff. The merch is good enough that like I may switch teams that I root for. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I can't do that. The the word diehard is there for a reason when you say diehard fan, but it is very cool. And also the Cincinnati Zoo going along with all of this has named their newest penguin chick Cup Ojo. All of the little blue penguins at the zoo are named something related to food, and they named this one Cup O Joe, short for Cup O Joe Burrow, because Joe Burrow is the quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals. So, uh, yeah, lots of tie-in between the Super Bowl and uh, zoos. Yay. On a less yay note, five gorillas at the Dallas Zoo have tested positive for COVID-19. As of now, they all seem to be doing all right and are exhibiting mild symptoms, but uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. And definitely yet another reminder that this pandemic is still raging, despite the fact that uh, we try to pretend it's not. So, you know, go get your vax, go get your boosters, all those good things. Yay. Okay, enough about that. Let's take it to a happier place. The Pangaton Zoo in the UK has announced the hatching of a very special baby bird. 
a Mitchell's lorikeet has been born at the zoo. Now, this is a species with less than 50 individuals in their wild population. And to go along with that, there are less than 200 in captivity in the world. So this is one of those species where every new animal matters. So like great work to everyone at the Pangton Zoo. Gosh, I hope I'm saying that right. But whether I am or not, congrats to everyone involved. Yay. Okay, so we all know that I love the Cincinnati Zoo for a lot of reasons. And one of those reasons is because the zoo's conservation committee every year encourages employees to submit requests for specific conservation projects to be funded. And then from those uh, applications, the committee selects a few and funds them. This year, the committee is funding four proposals. Cody Sowers, the head keeper of aviculture, presented a proposal that will help with the in-situ rescue and rehabilitation of wild native aquatic birds. Laura Carpenter, one of the keepers at the zoo, came up with a plan for conserving a population of critically endangered Bali starlings in the local community through local breeding and educational awareness. Ryan Dumas, a keeper at the zoo as well, came up with a plan to look at the population ecology and conservation of freshwater and terrestrial turtles in southwest Florida. And Don Strasser, also a keeper at the zoo, came up with the idea of creating the first ever natural history museum in Laos. These projects are now being funded through the Cincinnati Zoo. Incredible. All right, y'all. So I'm going to break in here with some really interesting kind of breaking news. Um, I'm going to spend the rest of the episode on this topic that has come up and is kind of a big deal. Uh, real quick, let me give you your animal holidays uh, for the week because I know you you love those. Uh, the 13th is Love Hornbills Day and Superb Owl Day, a pun off of Super Bowl. I guess that's pretty funny. And then on the 14th is World Bonobo Day and the 15th is National Hippo Day. So those are your animal holidays for the week. But now we need to talk about some new federal legislation that could cause some serious problems for zoos, conservation organizations, sanctuaries and even people with pets. Okay, so where this all starts is with a piece of legislation called the Competes Act, which is short for the America Creating Opportunities for Manufacturing Preeminence in Technology and Economic Strength Act of 2022, which is intended to boost U.S. competitiveness with China, specifically in semiconductor manufacturing and research. And I know most of you are already falling asleep. I'm not going to get into all or any of that. However, something happened that if you're listening to this and you're either not American or just don't know how our country does things in Congress, a last minute amendment was added to this bill that is really problematic. The language of the amendment creates a major change to the provisions of the Lacey Act, which regulates species deemed by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to be injurious. While promoted under the guise of protecting the country from invasive species, the true goal of the legislative change is to ban as much of the wildlife trade as possible. And many of the organizations pushing this change 
also oppose keeping animals in zoos, aquariums, research facilities, and even as pets. By attaching this as an amendment to a popular piece of legislation that was clearly going to pass on its own, representatives are attempting to avoid attention and pushback from the millions of Americans who will be affected by this, and also to bypass congressional hearings on whether this is even kind of a good idea. Spoiler alert, it's not. Okay, so I think the first thing that needs to be understood about this act is the term I mentioned a moment ago injurious. Any species that can cause any harm to human beings, to the interests of agriculture, horticulture, forestry, or to wildlife, or the wildlife resources of the United States, is considered injurious. Currently, the federal government and each state has their own blacklist of animals they consider too injurious to be imported. The newly proposed amendment changes this process from a blacklist to a whitelist, meaning that all animal species are considered injurious unless they can be proven to not be so. With such a broad definition, you could argue that almost every species of animal is injurious. I'm not just talking about the obvious ones like lions, tigers, gorillas, polar bears, etc. here. You ever see a red panda's claws? I have. They can harm a human. What about like a small new world monkey like a tamarind? Sure, they can. Even something as simple as leaf eater ants can destroy agriculture and forestry for sure. Technically, even your pet dogs can harm human beings, and we all know that pet cats being allowed to live outside causes the deaths of birds every single day. Now, while the law currently allows for dogs and cats to be owned and transported, it would only take one corrupt person to change that status, as you'll see a little bit later as we talk about this. By switching to a whitelist, all species will be considered injurious, and only those that can be proven to not be will be allowed to be imported into the U.S., and furthermore, the amendment bans interstate transport of any species not on the whitelist. This means no state-to-state -state SSP transfers, y'all. And it also means that if you have a pet that is currently legal, but isn't on the whitelist once this change goes into effect, you cannot take your own pet with you should you move to another state. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But first, I want to get into the concept of a whitelist versus a blacklist. There are many problems with the whitelist approach. For starters, it is impossible to prove a negative. On top of that, meeting the burden of proof that a species is not injurious will involve legal proceedings, which take time and money. Also, as this is federal legislation, it does not allow for environmental differences in different areas of the country. As such, a species that may not be considered injurious in Florida can still be kept off the whitelist because it would be injurious in, say, Washington. Therefore, it would be illegal to import animals to an area where they could not cause issues because, as currently written, the Lacey Act Amendment does not allow for any regional variation. When you actually get into the language of the amendment, it also 
seems to ban all import and interstate travel of species that are not domestic animals, period. This includes most of the species involved in AZA SSP plans, and actually, when you think about it, it includes most species, period. This law is a huge deal. Another thing to understand is that for an animal to be blacklisted currently, there is a large board of individuals who decide together, you know, experts in the field and all that kind of stuff, who decide together whether an animal should be on the blacklist or not. But the new amendment gives all of that power to one single person, the Secretary of the Interior, one individual. And we all know the reality is that one individual can be bought or sold. Not all, but there are definitely people who can get into positions of power that can be bought or sold, or who might just believe that um, animals shouldn't be kept as pets, or that zoos shouldn't exist, or that animal research, like even the good kind, I'm not talking about, you know, putting lipstick on apes. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, research for conservation purposes and stuff shouldn't be allowed. If that person becomes the Secretary of the Interior, nothing will be whitelisted. This is, this is crazy. This is, this is really, really bad. The legislation not only gives that power to one person, but it gives them the ability to change their mind at any time for any reason. Even animals that have been whitelisted can be unlisted by an emergency declaration, which would then lead to additional time and financial sacrifices to get the animal back on the whitelist. So, so yeah, so even if an animal is whitelisted, if certain people are able to convince the Secretary of the Interior to keep taking it off the whitelist, then it could just be an endless battle going back and forth until people give up. This is, oh, I'm so disgusted by all of this. Now, I know you may be thinking, yeah, but what are the odds that the government will actually not put popular pets or captive species on the whitelist? Well, first of all, congrats on not being as cynical about our government as I am. But second, it already happens in certain states. The state of Pennsylvania has blacklisted all crayfish in an effort to prevent the invasion of rusty crayfish, which legitimately pose a risk to native ecosystems. However, by making it a blanket ban on all crayfish, the state has also banned Mexican orange dwarf crayfish. This species is incredibly beautiful and is very popular in home-based tropical aquariums. An ecological risk screening by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service gives this species a climate match score of zero, meaning the species presents no invasion risk in Pennsylvania. However, the PA legislature just decided to ban all crayfish. Make, you know, easier, right? Simple. Thus, it is illegal to have orange dwarf crayfish in Pennsylvania. If the Lacey Act Amendment is passed as written, since the state of Pennsylvania has declared all crayfish to be injurious, it will be illegal to transport any across any state lines, even for a person moving from one state where they are currently legal to another in which they are also currently legal. Sure, the crayfish owner in question could take their case to the government, but again, we're talking time, money, bureaucracy, 
And uh, a lot of people just don't have the, the resources to deal with all of that. Also, and maybe the thing that makes me the saddest about all of this, is that the act specifically takes away the ability of animals to be transported for their own welfare. If you've been listening to Zoo News for a while, you know the story of Captain Cow, Goldie, and Poppy, the three cougar cubs that were saved from California wildfires and given a forever home at the Columbus Zoo when no local facilities were able to take them in. That move would now be illegal. Do you remember Jackson and Cheyenne, the amazing grizzly bears you actually got to hear on this podcast just a few weeks ago? They were rescued out in Wyoming after their mother died, and they were too young to fend for themselves. The Akron Zoo was able to take them in and raise them and literally saved their lives. Again, this would now be illegal if this amendment is signed into law. These are animals that anyone who is a fan of the podcast knows and loves, and their lives would have been drastically worse if a law like this were in place when they were rescued. The amendment also prevents the legal trade of exotic species that are already in the U.S., often for decades, and proposes making their ownership illegal. Banning those species will risk increasing the behavior that we already hear about way too often, in which people dump animals into the wild near their homes— for fears of getting caught with an illegal pet. This is a major problem in the country already, and this will only make it worse. Furthermore, there is evidence that the trade of exotic species in the U.S. has actually helped with in-situ conservation. Evidence shows that the proper and safe domestic breeding of many species of reptiles, birds, invertebrates, and more has reduced the demand for those species in the illegal wildlife trade. In other words, if you want an exotic animal, you're more likely to go to a reptile show or look for responsible breeders online than to engage in the illegal wildlife market. As such, demand and prices for many of those animals have declined significantly, leading to a reduction of the removal of those species from the wild. Now, obviously, poachers won't be deterred by this new law as they are already breaking the law to engage in their trade. So it is reasonable to conclude that the illegal wildlife trade will actually benefit from this legislation. And that just obviously sucks. And then one additional problem with this legislation is that the uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service is already underfunded and overburdened. Even the current Red Wolf initiatives we talk about a lot on this podcast are underfunded and are suffering. And I know we just recently talked about the Akron Zoo pups that were released into the wild, and it's an amazing story, and it's awesome, and I love that it happened. But if they had more money, if they had the budget they were supposed to have, that wouldn't be such a rare story already, okay? And it's important to understand that. Because putting the burden of this entire whitelisting program and the enforcement of interstate transport of animals on an already struggling department seems like a disaster, which again only makes it easier for criminals to break the law and do things in a problematic way, while everybody else doesn't want to break the law and as such chooses to just follow it or get into the illegal trade. I don't know. I don't see, I don't see a good side to this. The language of this legislation is a real problem. And it has already passed the House of Representatives. At this point, the legislation is being considered in the Senate. 
A couple of things can happen. The Senate bill could be an exact copy of the House one, including the amendments, or it could be a similar bill without the amendments that would pass, at which point the two bills would go into a process known as reconciliation, which is when the two bills are merged into one with elements added and removed until the law is the same in both the House and the Senate, and at which point it would be expected to be passed. So, like, will this amendment pass the way our government works? Seems like a crapshoot to me. It is incredibly important that the amendment not be allowed to pass through this process and get signed into law. Even if you're not convinced by what I just told you, I think we can all agree that no major law changes should just be added into an unrelated bill and passed without debate or public comment. Underhanded, unethical stuff like this is a huge problem in the United States government, and now it is poised to hurt wildlife conservation, the legal pet trade, and possibly even zoos and aquariums. So please consider calling or emailing your senators to encourage them to not pass the Competes Act with this <clears throat> injurious amendment. One final note on this bit. Um, as I was doing my research for this, uh, which included reading a lot from Debbie Goodrich, Adrian Mock, Art Parola, and some other sources, I could not find any response to this act from zoos and aquariums accredited or not i was curious to see what was out there and i didn't find anything i know from conversations that a lot of zookeepers and other people in the field are incredibly concerned i have seen a ton of conversation about this in some of the private groups that i i'm a part of and um I don't know what to make of all of that. I know that the Lacey Act does currently allow for zoos and other places like that to, you know, get exemptions from some of the components that that already exist that could shut them down. But I don't see anything in this amendment that leads me to believe that that would be the case. Maybe I'm missing something. Spoiler alert. I'm a drummer. I am not a uh, legal expert or a politician. <laughs> I'm super not a politician, but, um, but yeah, so I don't know. I find that interesting and I, I, I don't know what to think of it. I don't know what to make of it. I'm just being honest with you all right now. Um, I expected to find something strongly worded from some zoo that I could just read you at the end of this and I, I couldn't find anything. Uh, but regardless, this matters. Even if you take the zoo component out of it, um, it matters for the the legal pet trade, for the wildlife conservation stuff, for for a lot of stuff that that we all care about and support, regardless, like beyond zoos and aquariums. So, um, yeah, but I just I wanted to be honest with my audience and say that I haven't, you know, found the statement from X zoo saying we need to stop this legislation. And I, I found that interesting. All right. Well, that was definitely a different episode than usual. And um, I always like being able to go deep on things and I appreciate y'all listening. Uh, I want to say thank you to Lara Shank, my red panda level patron. And I wanted to say thank you to the following people who contributed stories for this week. Um, some of them obviously didn't make the podcast, but I still have them all. So they will probably make, you know, next week's episode or weeks from now, whatever. Y'all know how this works. But yes. Yeah, so thank you to Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan. Kim Cooley, 
Hippie Ape on Instagram, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Liz Dunleavy, Dylan Hoy, and Jess Smallwood for contributing to this week's episode. And remember, friends, the phrase Newsy Credits Backwards is Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.